Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studio in Alpharetta, it's time for Profit Sense with Bill McDermott. Good morning. Welcome to Profit Sense. This podcast dives into the stories behind some of Atlanta's successful businesses and business owners and the professionals that advise them. We help local business leaders get the word out about the important work they're doing to serve their market, their community, and their profession. I'm your host, Bill McDermott, and this show is presented by The Profitability Coach. When business owners want to increase their profitability, they often don't have the expertise to know where to start or what to do. I leverage my knowledge and relationships from 32 years in banking to identify the hurdles getting in the way and create a plan to deliver profitability they never thought possible. We have three three great guests on the show today, and I want to welcome each one. First, uh, Miles Young with On Time Supplies. Miles, welcome to Profit Sense. Hey, Bill, how you doing? Also, wanted to uh, thank Bronson Lavender with Pinnacle Bank. Bronson, thank you for coming on Profit Sense today. Thank you, Bill. And Gary Massey. Gary, uh, Gary, welcome to Profit Sense, and so glad you're here today. Thank you, Bill. Happy to be here. And Miles, I'm going to start with you. Uh, sure. So, you started a business called On Time Supplies. Mm-hmm. That is, with any entrepreneurial journey, it usually starts with an inspiration. So, what was your inspiration to start OnTimeSupplies.com? Well. Um... You know, it's funny. We started On Time Supplies 17 years ago, and it's it, it's hard to uh, believe that we've been in business for 17 years. Um, to do anything for that long is it's 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 a while. Um, but it it really started when uh, I went into a, an Office Depot 17 years ago, and I remember looking around, and the selection wasn't that good, and the customer no service people didn't. Seemed like they even wanted to be there. They're kind of looking at their watches, waiting for the uh, to leave. And um, and then I went on the website, and the website was uh, just not very user friendly. Um, it, it was just clunky, hard to use, didn't have a great search. And um, you know, the other thing I always remember when uh, going back to the actual in store is I I, th- I I remember saying to myself, it felt like a morgue. It was so just dismal. And um, so um, I called a, a friend of mine and uh, asked him a question. I said, hey, you know, have you ever gone into an office depot? And he said, yeah. And I said, it's an awful experience, isn't it? And so we both kind of agreed and we started brainstorming about the idea. And uh, we liked the idea of drop shipping product versus uh, having to carry it. And uh, started researching the industry, the office supply industry, and we found that there are distributors throughout the country that, that actually um, service companies like Office Depot, Home Depot, um, a lot of you know, retailers, um, and also independent office supply dealers uh, across the country. And there's probably around 80 different warehouses. And what, we, what the idea behind on-time supplies is, is using that uh, network of uh, warehouses and, and stock to be able to ship the product 
as close to the customer, right? So if they're in Atlanta, we're going to ship it from Swanee, Georgia, so they get it next day, right? And um, so the idea was just to be able to get the supplies to the customer fast. Um, Everybody works from their home. So during the pandemic, it wasn't a big stretch for us. Um, We hire customer service people. Um, and, and I like to hire customer service people that are a little bit more seasoned. They might have, uh, you know, a couple of kids. Um, but I really want customer service people that really care about the customer. And, um, I didn't mention this, but, uh, my background is, uh, I sold, uh, commodities for four years, mainly lumber. And, um, and so I understood kind of how to add value to commodity items. And then, um, I had, 15 years of, not 15, 10 years of selling software. So I kind of had a mix of technology and, and commodities as a, as a background. And um, I like the idea of customer service. I like the idea of having a website where um, people would feel um, they could find the items easily. They would have a good user experience. Um, and uh, we, we, we kind of married the idea of, good homespun customer service with uh, a really great technology backbone. And by being able to uh, marry those two, that's really helped our customer, our business grow um, to what it is today. So um, really the inspiration was the competition, seeing the need out there, right? If you see a need out there and you say, you know what, I could probably do this better, Right. Then you just have to have the, um, the, the, just the, 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 the wherewithal to do it, right? You have to kind of say, all right, well, you know, I feel like we can, we can do it. And um, one thing that's interesting, because you mentioned this would be for a lot of entrepreneurs, is, is I know that, you know, and I came from a corporate background too, is uh, when, you, when you work for a company, you can get really comfortable, right? You can get complacent. You can work for a company for a number of years. And what I found is that um, by taking that little risk, right, you can open up a whole new opportunity. And um, I, I remember when I was uh, first thinking about the idea of starting a business, a uh, consultant friend of mine who uh, was an entrepreneur, he said, Miles, when you look out in the pool, like the opportunity, it looks really deep. And he said, but when you jump in, you realize it's only ankle high. And I always kind of use that whenever I'm making any kind of uh, business decision. So sometimes, you know, we get afraid and we, and, and that um, by not taking that step, um, you don't take a chance and you don't find the opportunities out there. And that's kind of what we did with on-time supplies. So um, I hope that, that answered your question, Bill. Yeah, that that was an outstanding answer. There's sure. there's so much to unpack there. Uh, sure. We're talking this morning with uh, Miles Young, who's CEO and co- co-owner of On Time Supplies. So, Miles, kind of what I what I heard was uh, first the the saying goes, "Necessity is the mother of invention." Sure. Uh, so you and your partner saw a void in the market to access high demand office supplies, but do it efficiently, mm-hmm. uh, and so that combination of high demand, but also delivering it in that drop shipment concept very efficiently for the customer really uh, reduced uh, the wait time. And of course, we all know that when we order something, 
uh, we want it yesterday. You know, of we course. don't want to wait. You know, sure. back orders are killers. Yeah. And so you figured out a way to make that work. So, you know, hopefully we're on the tail end of a pandemic. Uh, there oh, yeah. are a lot of different thoughts uh, about that, but I don't really necessarily want to talk about COVID in particular. Uh, but I do know that your business grew uh, during COVID. So talk a little bit about that and how uh, you were able to weather the downturn, but actually not only survive, but actually thrive a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, I remember um, it seems like COVID's so far away right now, but um, right around uh, December uh, 2019, um, we started seeing people actually buying things that people use for uh, COVID. Um, like uh, uh, we saw these Kimberly Clark, uh, they're called like body suits where you can, so it keep it protects your skin from any kind of uh, contaminant. And we started selling a lot of them. And uh, I actually called a customer that was buying a lot of these body suits and he was shipping them to Ohio. And I said, what, you know, what's going on with these, these suits? And he said, Oh, I'm sending them over to China. And I wish I would have known, you know, kind of thought that I was like, wow, that, that was interesting. And I was kind of like, I wonder what's going on over there. And then, of course, you know, around February, it, it really started uh, uh, coming to America, I guess. But, um, you know, what we found is that um, by having such a big catalog of items um, and things that people were trying to find that weren't on the, the shelves and, and probably the one item that everybody can... Uh, empathize with is uh, toilet paper. Um, we never sold toilet paper before. We say maybe occasionally, but you had people all over the country in a, um, in a huge bind looking for toilet paper. And we weren't only selling, um, you know, co- we were selling whole, we were selling companies, truckloads of toilet paper. It was amazing because they would hand them out to their employees. Um, but we were able to find it uh, a couple of ways, uh, you know, we had good relationships with some of the manufacturers. We have good relationships. We also have a government uh, contract that we do use for uh, Ability One products. So we could get products that weren't on the shelves at like your local grocery store, but we were able to access um, supply chain items that people just couldn't find. And we were able to, uh, kind of tap into our network of, uh, of uh, distributors out there to be able to cover a lot of those needs. And, and we've gotten a lot of really great customers because of it. Um, but I think, you know, that's one of the things about uh, adapting, right? And um, we're kind of uh, chatting before the call about, um, about listening to uh, other leaders out there. Like you mentioned Andy Stanley, right? So, um, I went to Alabama, so Alabama football, right? And I was listening to Nick Saban. And one of the things he was saying, as far as one of his principles is, you got to be able to adapt or die. And uh, we take that very seriously. And by being a small company, you can be very nimble and agile and, and make a lot of changes in your business quickly. And I think that's one of the things in, that, that our customers uh, really appreciated right? We were able to let them know that, hey, we not only have the office supplies, but we also have the, the janitorial supplies, the disinfectants, 
some of the masks, the gloves, um, a lot of the um, other items that people were looking for, they couldn't find in their normal supply chain. So we were able to really capitalize that. And, and um, by being, being uh, creative, we were able to help our customers in a big way. Yeah, being able to adapt is is so critical. Oh, sure. We're talking to Miles Young with On Time Supplies. On Time Supplies offers top-notch customer service. They're a leading supplier of discount office supplies with lightning fast delivery. And so, Miles, I want to uh, say for any of our listeners who are thinking about entrepreneurship, Uh, You started on time supplies with your partner in 2004. Uh, So you've been at it for a while. What advice uh, would you have for other hopeful entrepreneurs that might be listening? Um, Probably the best piece of advice is um, the the advice I start out with is is by just taking that chance by, by going out there and doing that. And um, you know, don't overthink it, right? Think of something as simple as office supplies, right? As far as how can you go in and create a, a niche in the market? Um, if you see something that, if you see a, a need that needs to be filled and you don't think it's being filled, then, you know, you can be creative and you can go for it. And um, I know that there's so many, uh, and I was one of them, you know, I had a day job, I would continually think about, hey, I want to start my own business, but I would just get caught up in the uh, the day to day business of of uh, selling. I was selling high tech uh, software, and uh, I would just get caught up in the grind of uh, of working. And um, by just freeing myself up and being able to say, hey, you know, I, I can I can take a chance, and. Uh, I did. I'm glad I did. It was a, you know, it's paid off and I'm happy that I was able to do it. So say, so take a chance. So we're probably uh, have some business owners that would be listening that are, that are looking for things online that they can't find. Yeah. So for our listening audience, Miles, share the URL. Uh, sure. It, time it's uh, on time supplies, just O N T I M E S U P P L I E S dot com on time supplies.com. Um, you know, one of the other things too, that's kind of fun is, uh, we built our own website. So we don't have a, uh, kind of a cookie cutter website that you might find, um, that, that a lot of, uh, companies will build. And, um, you know, we were able to set up things on our website that a lot of people, um, wouldn't, wouldn't normally do. So we can, we set it up where you can check your own stock, We've set it up so you can, uh, there's an 800 number on every page of the website. We put it in the top part of the website where a lot of companies, uh, they try and hide that. They try and hide their 800 number, make it dif- more difficult for customers to uh, contact them. Um, all our customer service people are in the U.S. And, uh, you know, they're solution-oriented people. So they're trying to figure out ways to help the customer and, uh I think our customers really appreciate that, you know, and by being a small business, we can adapt quickly and and be able to change the things that we want to change. We don't have to send the changes off to another company to uh, take a couple of weeks or months to do it. And um, 
that was a big part of the pandemic because when it hit, we had to change a lot of our business. We had to change a lot of our focus and um, even content for educating our customers on COVID. That was a, that was a big one. So, um, well, I'm yeah. so glad that uh, you came on the show today. I'm so glad that you uh, shared your URL with the listening audience. So Miles, thanks again for coming on Profit Sense today. Well, you're welcome, Bill. Thank you very much. And we're now going to uh, shift our conversation with Bronson Lavender. Bronson is market manager for Pinnacle Bank. Uh, Bronson, so uh, so glad that uh, that you're on and uh, have. Uh, uh, I know we've chatted a little bit. Uh, you told me that being a banker is not really a vocation, but a calling. So I'd love for you to to elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, I'll be happy to, Bill, and thank you for having me. Um, you know, and, and when I look at all the professions out there, and this is just the way I, I guess I look at things or think about things, and I think about the noblest professions out there. You think of a doctor, a pastor, a teacher, uh, you're probably going to laugh, but I look at a banker as probably one of the top five, top ten noblest professions that to get into, um, and I've always looked at it that way. Um, you think about every day I get to come in and help clients. I get to change and affect and help them build their small business up. I get to help them, you know, with their car loans and, or whatever it may be. And when I look out there, and honestly, it probably comes from my history. I, I started in banking when I was 15 years old, Bill, as a janitor. And uh, I'll never forget this. Um, and Mr. Asbury was the president of the bank. He asked me if I wanted to go grab breakfast one morning uh, at 15. You always said yes to breakfast. And uh, we <laughs> went next door to uh, a little five and dime drugstore. And we were sitting there eating a biscuit and a local farmer walked in and I knew the farmer and uh, Mr. Asbury said hello to him. And he said, uh, Mr. Asbury, I need to come see you. I'd like to buy a tractor. And uh, Henry said, go on over to the bank. We'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do to help you. And I was sitting there thinking as a young person, wow, you know, I come from a farming background. We were poultry farmers and cattle farmers. But I listened to him say, you come on over next door and let's sit down and see what we can do to help you. And that made an impression on me. And uh, honestly, ever since then, I have looked at banking as the opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. Um, and that's why I consider it um, a, a calling, because I think anytime you're helping someone, um, it's not just a job. It's, it's a deeper meaning to that. And uh, every day I get to have those kind of conversations and, and help people. So. So to kind of follow on to that uh, in that calling, you've had the opportunity to make some impacts uh, like Mr. Asbury and helping that farmer with his tractor. Talk a little bit about the impacts that you've been able to make. Uh, I, I tell you, it's funny you, you asked that question. I was asked a very similar question when I was at a graduate class at college. They were asking me, well, tell me about, you know, the most exciting loans or the things that you've done or whatever. And, and to be honest with Bill, it, it, over my career of over 30 years now, I've had the opportunity to do the, the large commercial $50 million asset-based lending lines, had the opportunity to help clients purchase their commercial building. But if I'm going to be truthful, the ones that stick out to me the most that one of these days when I retire and I'm sitting on the front porch 
with my grandkids telling me what, it, you know, sharing stories with them about what I did with my life. I'll give you two examples of how I, uh, I look back on the career and I think I've made uh, an impact. The first was, uh, goodness gracious, I hate to date myself. Uh, 25, 28 years ago, a young couple came into the bank and I was a young lender, uh, Bill. And, the, and the, they came in and the gentleman sat there and said, we'd like to borrow $10,000 um, and uh, for personal expenses. And, you know, and I started talking to them and, Long story short, I was able to get the loan approved. Uh, and and whenever they came in to sign the documents, they told me, said, listen, this is for in vitro fertilization. We've been trying for years to have a child and we weren't able to do it. And they didn't have to share that with me. But when you build these relationships, you know, you get to know people. Well, listen, I think I was the third or fourth person they called about a month and a half, two months later to let me know that it took, it worked. And, uh, they ended up getting pregnant with twins and uh, to even share even a little bit longer part of the story about 10 years later, uh, I was at a baseball field with my son and my son's name was announced over the intercom as next up to bat. And they announced his name and I hear this gentleman yelling out Bronson and literally he comes over and uh, I got to see and, and, and meet both of his boys uh, and just kind of have a reunion because I was no longer uh, in that market anymore. But um, did I make a difference? Man, I, I think so. And that's one of those things I look back and go, that was phenomenal. Uh, the second one that I, that I would, would point out was a, a lady came in the bank one day and, and she uh, wanted to speak with a loan officer. And I said, sure, come right on in. We ended up having a great conversation. But her, her dream was to buy a house for her dad. Her dad was really close to around 70 years old, Bill, and he had never owned his own home. And uh, she uh, said, I'd like to see if I can qualify, if we can and make this happen. And long story short, it took a lot of time, a lot of energy, but we were able to get her approved and we closed the loan and I, and I gave her a hug and told her I was so excited for her. And, and Bill, she literally asked me, would I mind showing up and being there at the house uh, when her dad, when she brought her dad over to the house? And I was like, look, no, I, I don't want to. No, that's not my role that you did all this. And she goes, no, I couldn't have done it without you. Um, and so to be there and see the excitement, to see a gentleman get out of the car and question, why are we at this person's house? <laughs> and uh, to see his daughter, you know, say, Dad, this is your home. Um, gosh, Bill, that was probably 25 years ago as well. And. You know, right now while I'm even on the phone with you, I, I get chill bumps. Um, it just, it's meaningful. It's, um, you know, I sit here and I think about, does what I do matter? Boy, you don't have to look real far. Sometimes we get so caught up in things that we forget to look at the, the real impact that we make on people's lives every single day. Um, now, listen, and I will tell you, it's not always the yeses. You know, I've gotten many thank yous for the no's where we didn't do a loan or we didn't move forward with something because it wasn't the right time or it wasn't the right place or it was too much or whatever. So um, ultimately, uh, the last 30 plus years for me uh, has been so fulfilling uh, just to be kind of a consultant, to kind of be that person that can walk alongside people and, you know, be there to help them with their first car, be able to send their, help them send their kids to college for the first time or that first home buyer or a small business, an entrepreneurial who's got this great vision, kind of like 
um, you know, Miles did on earlier on the show, you know, to be able to help them plan and strategize and figure out a way to make those dreams work. And if it's not right then, maybe it's six months or a year or two years down the road. Um, it's really uh, it's been impactful for me. Yeah, Bronson, I, I get chill bumps just listening to that story with you. So, uh, you know, it reminds me of a book that I read. It's been quite a few years ago, but it's The Butterfly Effect by Andy Andrews. Uh, and the premise of the book says everything that we that we do matters. Uh, we're talking this morning with Bronson Lavender. He's market manager for Pinnacle Bank's uh, growing 400 market. Uh, it consists of uh, Dahlonega, Dawsonville, and Cumming. So I know you joined uh, Pinnacle in April of this year, uh, but the fact of the matter is, Bronson, you're a very successful banker. Uh, you could work anywhere. What attracted you to Pinnacle Bank? Mm, that's a great question. I will tell you, I spent a lot of time uh, thinking and praying, and I will tell you, to me, what it was, it was the people and the culture that they shared with me. Um, this is a personal belief, but I personally believe you have to find a culture that matches your personal beliefs. And then secondly, you got to look at one from a corporate standpoint, that corporate culture, if you will. And, and just make sure that there it, it aligns or there's a kindred spirit. And um, for me personally, uh, the very first time I met David Voles, who was the president of Pinnacle Bank, there was that kindred spirit, if you will. Um, I got to spend some time with Jackson McConnell, our CEO, and Mike Sterrett, who's the director of business development. And um, Bill, you've met those people that when you just sit down, and you spend, you know, an hour and you think an hour has gone by and it's been three hours just because you've meshed, you've connected um, and, uh, and the genuineness. And uh, in fact, I will tell you, David Voles, I was in a meeting with him yesterday and he said, Bronson, uh, and to this group, he said, I want to create not just a job, but a career for our employees. Um, I want to create the best community bank in Georgia. And, uh, and I was just sitting there. Um, Bill, as you know, and you can tell, I'm very passionate about what I do. It's, it's a very important part of who I am. And I, I will tell you the Pinnacle Bank family and what they believe really just matched me very, very well. So um, you're talking about vision. Uh, I know that uh, Pinnacle Bank has a vision statement to be the best community bank in Georgia. Um, so I do want to ask you, you're charged with uh, growing the 400 market, which Pinnacle Bank defines as Dahlonega, Dawsonville, and Cumming. So what is yours and Pinnacle's vision for that market? Uh, and uh, how do you plan to execute on that vision? Sure, sure. Currently, we, we have an office here in Dahlonega, and uh, our, our plans are to, in the near future, to, to expand down that Dawsonville and coming markets. Um, the short answer is to really just grow our client base, to grow our brand, if you will, even brand awareness, because ultimately this is relatively a new market uh, for, for Pinnacle Bank. Um, and we have just had two people join our team in this market. Uh, Casey Moy has been in banking, goodness, 15, 20 years and, and as a, a business banker and very well thought of, and we've had Lauren Viverka join our team in the last 30 days as well. 
And our goal literally is to get out and to get in front of those small businesses, medium businesses, large businesses, uh, even just consumer prospects and just let them hear our story um, to basically sit there and, and kind of walk them through the products, the services, and basically start building relationships ultimately that will last a lifetime. I'll share with you, uh, it's going to kind of, kind of coincide with the previous question you asked earlier. One of the mottos that I've always had over my career is when I would meet clients, um, Bill, was I want to grow old with you. Um, in, in today's world where so many things are transaction oriented or in our world, we call them a deal. That is not who Pinnacle is. We're, we're not looking for a deal. We're looking for a long-term relationship, whether that means helping that small business grow and, uh, and to be able to help them transition it over to uh, a sibling uh, or to even take it public or eventually one day sell it. Those are the kind of relationships that we want to spend the next five years, 10 years, 20 years uh, walking alongside of them and just helping them. And so, you know, the way we do things here, I think, is a little different. We, uh, we're not, again, interested in just that loan or just that one transaction as much as we are um, just helping our community and our philosophy here. And I really appreciate it. Uh, Jackson McConnell saying that behind every good community is a community bank, you know, because what we do to help a small business or help an individual get a home or whatever, all of that helps the communities in which we live and work in grow and be better. And so, um, anyway, I look at it as a win-win, but ultimately my vision, my dream is to create a relationship that will last and uh, help them achieve their hopes and dreams. Well, hearing your passion uh, coming through uh, loud and clear, uh, uh, I certainly think you're well on your way to success. If someone wants to get in touch with you or check out Pinnacle Bank, uh, is there an email or a website uh, that they can go to? Absolutely, Bill. We, we have our, our corporate website, which is PinnacleBank.com. Um, I would say, please, anytime, reach out to me. And my direct number is 706-973-5741. Or they can always just email me at BronsonLavender at PinnacleBank.com. Um, and we would look forward to, to talking to them and see what we can do to help them in any way. Well, uh, having a bank and a banker, I think, is critical to uh, a business owner's what I call a personal board of advisors, which is typically a, a banker, an attorney, uh, and a CPA. So, Bronson, thank you so much for uh, being one of those uh, advisors that I think are critical to every business owner. Uh, and certainly wish you and the bank uh, much success in the coming year. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, talking about that personal board of advisors, uh, uh, Gary Massey uh, is uh, uh, managing director of Massey and Company. Uh, Gary, I kind of want to kick our conversation off with talking a little bit about uh, uh, you started your business, uh, same as I did back in the recession of 2009. Uh, share with our audience what your entrepreneurial journey has been like over the past Absolutely. 12 years. Thank you very much, Bill. I, w- one thing that I'll say before I start talking about myself, this has been a real 
inspiration listening to the other speakers. You know, Miles, when he talks about his entrepreneurship and how, how he made that happen for himself and, and Bronson's very clear vision, it, it's really inspirational to hear what people can do within a business setting. And as far as my own um, journey, which you asked about, I began after graduate school working for the largest global public accounting firms. I did that for a long time and I always had a boss. And I must tell you that uh, my vision, my my short-term vision was to uh, create a business for myself where I wouldn't have a boss. And that's what I did. At the beginning, it was very hard. I had to work super, super hard. But uh, over the years, we've had year-over-year growth, and we have gone after a type of CPA firm, which I think is unique within the market. It's basically focusing on those small businesses and small business owners that are feeling overwhelmed, because that's really where we can make a difference. People start a business and my goodness, they're overwhelmed with the paperwork and dealing with the IRS or dealing with sales taxes. So that's where we come in and we can make a difference. And just by focusing on that in the, with the context of a super team of people delivering the service. And that to me is so important, making it a happy place to work. And that's really all that it's about. That's the service that we have provided and by doing that and working hard at it, we, we have resulted in year-over-year growth and business is growing. And I'm, I'm really proud of that. And I'm, I'm proud of my team. Well, that is great. And, and certainly um, having a CPA as part of your team is, is invaluable. So I, I know I'm preaching to the choir with this next uh, question, but I've heard it said that the number two weakness in a growing business is accounting. Uh, Business owners don't fear accountants the same way they might fear attorneys, even though the accountant is the gatekeeper to the IRS. So I'm going to ask you, why do you suppose that is? Well, I mean, lawyers, people are afraid of lawyers because they're afraid of getting sued. And lawyers have high, very high bills and uh, People don't want the lawyer to sue them for those for those bills. So we have we have a more reasonable fee structure. We do many of the same things, although we, we do not practice law, of course. But what you said about being the gatekeeper to the IRS, that's really important. We as a CPA firm have the ability to get to the IRS faster when someone has a problem. That's also true with the with the state of Georgia or whatever state someone lives in. And they're often battling with the government trying to solve complex problems. So we get in there and we represent them to the government. And what I always say is we help our clients to go to sleep at night without worrying about taxes. And that's really what it's all about. And as I said before, the this feeling of being overwhelmed and being buried within paperwork, that's where we make the difference. And we we help them to escape that that trouble and focus on doing what they do best, which is being an entrepreneur and running their business. So we're talking this morning with Gary Massey, who's the managing director of Massey and Company CPAs. Uh, the firm really focuses uh, on helping clients with tax problems. Uh, it includes representing clients in front of the IRS and state agencies to resolve tax issues. Uh, Gary has an extensive background in tax departments of a lot of larger firms and uh, has done an excellent job in that area. So I, I want to kind of turn to 
that issue, Gary. So taxes, uh, getting in trouble with the IRS. Some business owners can avoid them, but there are some common traps that get business owners in trouble with the IRS. Uh, what are the options to resolve them? Well, just to, to focus for a moment on the source of those troubles, it usually stems from one place, or I'm going to say two places. And number one is this feeling of being overwhelmed. And second of all, it's procrastination. So letters come in the mail from the government and you know where they go. They, they go into the top drawer. People don't open the mail from the IRS. And that's the biggest mistake that you can do. You have to open the mail and deal with the government. And um, once you do that, then that's 50% of the battle. You can really solve a lot of those problems. Um, as far as the other kinds of traps you were talking about, it's really, it begins with the most simple things. And it's just keeping a clean set of books. And if you can do that, if you can be organized with your accounting or your bookkeeping, if you like that word better, and keep track of who owes you money and who you have to pay and where the money came from and what you spent it on, that is that sets you head and shoulders above so many other businesses. So just just fixing that, fixing the fixing the organization over your accounting and bookkeeping and opening up the mail from the government and not procrastinating, not waiting to the last second which creates stress for everybody. You know, we have tax season coming up within two weeks. It's going to be January 1st and we begin a brand new tax season. And the last thing that I want to do or last thing I want my staff to do is to feel stressed. So we try to, we avoid the stress by being proactive and being organized and opening the mail. And that's what I would encourage for all of, all of my entrepreneurial clients. So talking about uh, taxes, so is tax resolution a big differentiator for your CPA practice? That's a great question. I've gotten into what they call tax resolution, or we also call it tax representation over the past several years. I, I've, I've been doing it for, for many years, but we've been focusing on it in a very serious way over the past three or four years. And I, I really think it sets us apart. There are very few accounting firms who do this kind of work this representation work or problem solving. I think that they don't like it. They're not comfortable with it. There are certain special rules that they have to follow. Uh, but for me, it is a pleasure because it is the, it is the way that I can really help our clients. And, it, and it, it does indeed set us apart from other firms. I will mention to you that the only people who can speak to the IRS on behalf of a taxpayer is either a CPA an enrolled agent called an EA or a attorney. Those are the people who can have a power of attorney to speak with the IRS. So we can have a power of attorney. But if you work with a with someone who is not in one of those three categories, like say a, a bookkeeper or a tax preparer, they can be absolutely wonderful at what they do, but they can't call the government and speak on your behalf. So that does indeed set us apart. So we're talking with uh, Gary Massey, and, and Massey and Company does uh, a lot of work that requires negotiation on a wide variety of tax matters, including offers and compromise, installment agreements, currently not collectible status, and penalty abatement. Um, Gary, you and I both know that because business owners struggle with accounting finance, 
uh, they're overwhelmed to your point. Uh, what do they need to stay on top of uh, so that their CPA is able to file tax returns or prepare financial statements on their behalf? Great question, Bill. Once again, I'm going to go back to the basics. If you get a bank statement in the mail, open the letter or take the email and give it to your accountant so he can do the work. It's as simple as that. Because if you do that, you're going to be on top of your numbers. And the worst thing is to wait 10 months later or (laughs) two years later. It happens all the time. I see it on a daily basis where people are years behind and then they don't know where their statements are or they don't remember what they bought. And it's very hard to justify. And then if the IRS audits you, forget about it. You know, if you don't have any receipts and you can't explain it, forget about it. So start with the basics, keep your stuff organized, be proactive and give your paperwork to the CPA. And that is 90% of the battle in being successful as far as this goes. And then spend the rest of your time building your business and doing what you know how to do best. You know, I've heard it said uh, there are certain things that you have to do to pay the upfront price, Uh, the price of owning your own business, uh, running your own business, enjoying the fruits of that business. The upfront price, from what I hear you saying, is really just spending the time to get your financial affairs in order, either doing your own bookkeeping or even better yet, having someone do bookkeeping or accounting, just depending on the term that you want to use, uh, you know, allowing your your CPA uh, or someone in the accounting department of a CPA firm to do that, uh, to do that accounting work for you. So I'm sure that we have some listeners that are listening in right now uh, who maybe would like to get uh, some help with their accounting. Uh, or their tax returns, or maybe they are finding themselves getting one of those IRS letters that sends uh, chills up and down the spine. So Gary, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you or your firm? The best way, Bill, is to have them call our office, which is 678-235-5460. They can also go to our website, which is MasseyAndCompanyCPA.com, and is spelled out, A-N-D. And they can reach us there and they can send me a message there or, or send me an email, gary.massey at Massey and Company CPA. We have a, a great and friendly staff of people and they would love to talk with you and see how we could be of assistance to you and to help you grow your business. Well, Gary, your, your business owner approach and uh, the expertise uh, that you've shared with our listening audience has been invaluable this morning. It, it's been a delight to uh, uh, talk with you and uh, uh, certainly wish you the best. And thanks again for coming on Profit Sense. Thank you, Bill. You know, I want to take a little moment. Uh, Yesterday, I was uh, in a meeting where the uh, CEO was talking to the board. I'm one of the board members. And he talked about gratitude. And it reminded me of a uh, podcast that I'd listened to by Andy Stanley, who said uh, the title of the podcast was I Owe Who. In other words, who do you owe a debt of gratitude to? 
Uh, I'm sure we've all seen the situation where maybe there are little kids around a circle. Uh, it's a birthday party. The birthday boy or girl is opening presents. And all of a sudden, before the next present is opened, mom steps in and says, or dad says, what do you say as a reminder to say thank you? And so my comment that I want to share with my listeners today is gratitude expressed communicates acceptance, but gratitude unexpressed uh, communicates potentially over time rejection. And so I think Andy was making a point and certainly impressed upon me to reflect during this holiday season, who do you owe a debt of gratitude to? And so I just want to encourage you and encourage myself at the same time, express your gratitude. Uh, If you haven't expressed it to someone and maybe you owe them a a debt debt of gratitude, uh, maybe it's time to, uh, to express that. And so that is my thought uh, for today. If you want to keep up with the latest in pro-business news, follow us on social media for the latest stories. If you want to listen to future ProfitSense podcasts, you can find us on ProfitSenseRadio.com. This is ProfitSense with Bill McDermott signing off. Make it a great day.